There are lots of questions about China right now. How quickly will the economy rebound? Will it ever see levels of growth that we saw up to the pandemic? How will they overcome the issue of debt, particularly in the property sector? What's the future of international trade? Is it with the West or with BRICS nations? And unlikely, perhaps, but is China fated to be the new Japan with a decade or more of stagnation? But surely China's biggest opportunity is its population. After all, 1.4 billion people can't be wrong, can they? Where next for China? That's this week. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. Well, we know how big a success story China has been since the economy started to open up in the late 70s. Since then, GDP growth has averaged 9% a year. 800 million people or more have been lifted out of poverty. But even before COVID, there was the question about how long could this all last? Well, maybe the growth will return. Maybe it just needs to reinvent itself from the low-cost manufacturer to a high-tech powerhouse. It's already said that it wants to be the global leader in artificial intelligence. Not if America has anything to do with it, of course. I mean, President Biden has already taken steps to ban US investment in various parts of the Chinese technology sector, AI included, along with semiconductors and quantum information technologies. But despite that, we're being told to expect a meeting between President Xi and President Biden in November. So could we see tense relations thawing? The more immediate question, though, is how quickly is China bouncing back from COVID? And how big is the issue of debt? In particular, in the property sector, including the tens of billions of dollars owned by the Evergrande Group. Xiana Yu is a China economist at Capital Economics in Singapore. Shanna, it's been a public holiday this week in China, of course. I'm sure property developers and the Communist Party would like to think that people have been using their time to go out house hunting. But is that wishful thinking? I mean, how central to the problem that China is facing is this downturn in property and the overstretch by property developers, in particular, obviously, with, with Evergrande? Yeah, Um Yes, property is definitely a very big reason for the slowdown that's happening in China at the moment. Um, a lot of the weakness definitely comes from property, given its sheer size um, of the economy. Um, and yes, a lot of problems that we're seeing with uh, that we've been seeing in the last couple of years regarding uh, developers financing, their ability to finish um, projects that have been started has really caused sentiment to plummet more widely. What's encouraging is that in recent uh, weeks since the end of um, August, uh, early September, when there was announcement of uh, a large support for the property sector, we are seeing um, on the high frequency data that we track, uh, there are some tentative signs that housing sales are picking up. Um, it's also very good timing. As you mentioned, China is now on holiday. Um, the golden week, as it's called, is typically one of uh, the times in the year where property, uh, you know, really the home sales really um, increase a lot, where people really are out shopping for houses. Um, earlier this week, we've got some data on holiday spending uh, for the for the holiday so far, and uh, it shows that um, you know, spending, people are really out there spending, uh, for the first three days of the holidays, there are already roughly, uh, 50% of all the spending that was done in the same holiday period in 2019. Uh, granted, there's one, uh, extra day of holiday this year because of the Meat Autumn Festival falling pretty much just the day before, um, when China usually goes for this one week break. So that's that one extra day, but generally it's, it's a pretty good picture if three out of your eight days are already doing quite well um and yeah so we think 
uh, our, our view right now, based on all the initial data we're seeing, we've also got pretty good sentiment data coming out for September. Shows an uptick in consumer sentiment. Um, so, you know, taken together, we are seeing that the Chinese economy is, you know, probably past its worst now, and uh, there are just early signs that uh, a recovery, a cyclical recovery, is on Which its way. Which is quite surprising in a way, isn't it? Because there's so much money that is tied up in in property. I think sixty percent of household wealth, I read somewhere, is tied mm. up in, in real estate. And if house prices are falling, then you sort of mm. get that diminishing wealth effect, and. And then also, you know, companies, if they're trying to de-risk in, in China, given that, you know, where, the, where they've been with the property sector, maybe it's harder to, to take out loans. And if it's harder to take out loans, it's harder for the economy to grow. But uh, you think we're, all, of, all of that is behind us? Well, I guess the, well, officials definitely... <laughs> <big call>, <laughs> yeah. Officials definitely <laughs> want it to be behind us. Um, but I guess, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a really huge problem, uh, the debt problem that we're seeing in China. A large share of it's coming from the property sector, as you mentioned. Um, a lot of the recent measures, recent stimulus in the sector has really been to help um, move that along. Um, loans are actually now uh, relatively easier. It's become pretty easy to get a mortgage uh, for home buyers. There's been a lot of support for demand, the housing demand side. So on that front, you know, things should be moving quite well. Um, on the developers' front, though, uh, officials are still keeping a pretty tight noose there. Uh, not too much sign that they will be willing to loosen it uh, significantly because they are really concerned about uh, deleveraging risks there. So what about, so the, and stimulus measures have been fairly piecemeal, haven't they? I mean, you know, there's no sort of like big write-offs of debt presumably because that would encourage future risky behavior but um, i mean obviously this this series of piecemeal plans is obviously having some effect i mean their target is five percent growth this year will they hit that is there is there enough stimulus to actually achieve that well our view is that they probably will hit five percent this year um Based on all the data we've been seeing, and actually um, August August data uh, activity data for August has been pretty strong. They actually surprised on the upside, um, and with more of this, uh, as you mentioned, piecemeal um, policy support coming through, these measures that are coming through, um, you know, they are coming through very slowly and bits and pieces. But when you add them all together, they are pretty significant and. Yes, they are not loosening it the whole way, the way they've done in previous downturns. Um, but there is there is quite enough at the moment for us to think that you know um, things will start looking up. Uh, Q3 will probably be the weakest um, quarter this year, and uh, you know we get September data and Q3 data in the coming weeks. We think there's a chance of an upside in September also, um, and it's probably just going to continue going up for the rest of this year. And for that reason, we think five percent should be in reach. And how much of the debt? I mean, the issue about issuing. Uh, some sort of stimulus to try and reduce that debt. I mean, part of the problem is, of course, a lot of this debt is uh, is sitting with uh, local authorities, isn't it? And I'm not quite sure how stimulus measures can help unless the Communist Party bails out those those authorities. I mean, most government spending and investment, as I understand it, filters its way through those those local authorities. So if they're if they're in trouble, then the whole economy is in trouble. Yes, that's right. I guess um, things have changed a lot 
since the start of the year where, you know, earlier this year there was this assumption that the economy will really start doing well and we were seeing signals from the central government that uh, support to all these local government um, financing vehicles, as they're called, uh, will, will fall this year. Um, but right now, it's, it's growth is the priority and they want to, officials want to stimulate that growth. Um, what we're seeing now is from the latest product bureaus messaging is that, you know, Growth, supporting growth is now taking centre stage. Um, they are no longer going to ease back um, on the support to the LGFVs. Uh, and so it's quite promising on that front. We, you know, The problems there are huge and they are going to be a problem. The next, you know, the next shoe to drop really to say. Um, but we're not going to see it in the near term. For now, at least the signals we're getting is that central government want to keep uh, growth, you know, stimulate growth. And so... The local government that problems there will come another day not yet not now so not the, at the moment the intention of course has been that china transitions mm. itself from one where it was mm. very much a capex intensive driven economy to one where there is more domestic consumption uh, rather than you know big capex projects funding uh, exports so uh, is that happening? I mean, are we seeing that that domestic demand picking up? Mm. I suppose the, th- um, I guess, a key thing here just to highlight is the fact that the domestic economy um, has not been as weak as most people are reporting. Mm. Um, we don't have much indicators on the ground to be, you know, compl- uh, to give a very clear idea. Unlike our ex, you know, the external sector, we can see it straight from the trade data. Um, the clearest indication we have actually are um, just the labour market indicators. For example, unemployment right now, the unemployment rate right now is actually very low and close to where they've been pre-COVID. Um, so that's very promising. And uh, we've also got um, service inflation data, which have been rising since the start of this year, which suggests, you know, it's the clearest indication that actually the services sector have been has been improving all throughout this year. So the domestic economy is, you know, pretty... It's, it's on a pretty good footing, um, if I should say. Um, the biggest problem now is that people are just not spending on those big ticket items because of um, the jitters that they have regarding the property sector. Um, and uh, with all the current stimulus that has been announced, uh, the current support measures, we think those will be enough for now um, to start to drive that uh, recovery. Once with the current measures that they've uh, announced, they should we think that uh, they will be able to push some of those home buyers who were keen to uh, make home purchases but have just stood there you know those at the margins those have like who have pulled back uh, you know just to hold out hesitant about entering the market given the problems that we're seeing right now um, they they should be pushed back into the market with all these uh, supportive measures um, and you know, once they start entering, uh, others will feel more comfortable. And our view is that uh, it should um, drive a pretty sustained momentum um, domestically and uh, drive a cyclical rebound in the near term. Right. So beyond a cyclical rebound, though, is it is it a restructure mm. that's happening? Is China going from being one where growth was largely driven by large fixed capital investments to one which is more about production and consumption? Because that is a structural change. And obviously that can take time, but is that the direction they are heading and are they going to be successful in that? Yeah, so definitely it's going to be a structural change. It's going to be a move away from capital intensive because, uh, for example, there will come a time when China can't build any more roads or highways. There's only so much land that's available, even though China's a very massive country. Um, uh, I think we think there'll be a shift in the kind of spending on infrastructure. It'll be a change 
away from building these uh, traditional um, infrastructure projects to projects uh, to uh, to putting more investment into, for example, advancing technology. Um, China's obviously got this push for self sufficiency, um, and that will be where a lot of spending. Increasingly, a lot of spending will go will be directed towards that area. Um, in terms of the structure towards more domestic uh, consumption, that's quite an interesting idea uh, thing to think about. Because previously, in the past, they used to want to move away uh, from manufacturing into more heavy consumption. But I think it was in the latest um, five year plan that they stated they want to keep the share of manufacturing broadly the same. Um, as it's been in the past, but they want to shift the composition of manufacturing. So it's still going to be, it is definitely still a structural change and one that will take some time. It's just a little bit different, I think, from what uh, we had most of, most of us have been anticipating before. And, and AI is obviously important because, I mean, they have to play in this space anyway, aren't they? don't they? Because they, you know, they're intent on trying to stop the harmful impact of foreign developed AI. So, you know, they want some sort of state control that I think in, in their plan they were saying it has to reflect their core socialist values. And they're worried about things like deep fakes, which we all should be, of course. Um, so they want to try and bottle that. So I guess they, they need to counter... Uh, foreign AI with their own AI and to be, I mean, their intent is to be the dominant producer of AI technology. So it sounds like uh, once they've stopped building buildings, <laughs> this is uh, all roads. I mean, from what you're saying, this is crucial to their economic future, isn't it? Yeah, we've actually just released an in-depth report on the implication of AI and the, you know, just the economies, global economies, regional economies, and of course, China. Um, and the key point from that is that, yes, China is... Uh, you know, China stands to benefit the most amongst all EMs. So uh, they've, they're actually doing very well in terms of innovation. It's really in terms of regulation, in terms of implementing. And as you mentioned um, earlier, Phil, they're, they're trying to implement regulation to ensure um, AI doesn't con- uh, doesn't contradict with what the state wants um, them wants the AI to say. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of push and pull in terms of how much China will benefit from this. But as I mentioned, we think that China is quite well poised to benefit from AI, uh, particularly in terms of productivity. China's economy is uh, pretty well educated and there's been a lot of digital infrastructure already set up. It's just now trying to ensure that their technology is diffused into all areas of um, the economy. Right. And yet you'd expect, you know, that if tech was so important, then you'd see a lot of young people employed in that sector. And yet, uh, you know, the the latest unemployment numbers for for young people, well, since they stopped publishing them, was, was up at 20%, which I guess could be a good thing. That means there's lots of people available to work in the AI industry. But it's strange that, uh, you know, we've seen this big fall if this is such a growth area. Yeah. I suppose that's really got to do with the recent clampdown on the tech sector that's been underway for since, I think, 2021. Um Right, right now it seems like in a couple of months ago, it seems like there's some signs that the crackdown in the area is coming to an end. So that's quite promising. I suppose what's what's happening now in the sector is just um, trying the the officials trying to provide some guidelines on how technology should develop moving forward. And until those, I I think until those are settled. Um, we will see some of these youths not going into the, the employment um, in a way that will benefit both them individually as well as the general economy. Um, 
what's also what's key to point out is yes there is a lot of uh, you know at first glance 20 percent of youth un being unemployed is a huge share but really they're only six percent entirely the entire youth labor force forms six percent of the entire country's labor force so it's it's not uh it's not that not as worrying as you as you first uh, as it first seems to be um and yeah great eventually i eventually most of these people you know most of these unemployed youths will probably uh, filter through into jobs uh, related to ai of some sort so you're painting a very positive picture the confidence is coming back uh, people are shopping mm. domestic demand is increasing uh, mm. and uh, we uh, and you know the the mix of domestic consumption versus you know manufacturing perhaps isn't going to change that much or that quickly. So on that manufacturing sector, you know, we, that brings us on to exports. And uh, are we going to see them regaining those export markets? I'm obviously asking this because, uh, you know, the, the, the health of China is very important to Australia. Are we going to find that, uh, so, you know, them producing more, using more iron ore, and then also exporting more back to Australia as well, obviously are crucial for the Australian economy. So is that going to change too much? I mean, because we in the background, we've got BRICS, you know, this this new group that's trying to really develop uh, its own self-sufficiency. How important is that going to be in the future of China? And, uh, you know, where does the economic relationship between China and Australia sit in, in amongst all of that? Yes, the the structure of China, the Chinese economy is probably going to change and is not going to rely so much on um, property anymore um, in the medium in the medium term and a lot of um, firms in Australia who are involved in this iron trade will definitely um, understandably be uh, very worried but we are also seeing this as the emergence of the new of a new trend where China is really taking a more dominant role in um, green technology and uh, let's uh, and EV in particular that that really requires a lot of steel input um, so even though the demand for or iron or in for example property sector will decline that's going to be uh, made up somewhat by um, the increase in demand for EV uh, for steel in EV production that's one um, and in terms of just a general uh, general view that uh, the health of Chinese demand will affect uh, the Chinese economy will affect the demand for uh, from other countries for goods from other countries the 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 way we should be looking at China as uh, as part of this wider supply chain in the in the global on the global stage is that um, China is uh, China doesn't really um, produce most of the final demand. Whatever gets imported into China for production, um, a lot of these goods are actually exported to the rest of the world, and the final demand is therefore not from China itself. It's really dependent on how, for example, the US and um, and the EU, other major economies, if um, the economies there are strong and they have strong demand uh, for goods, then uh, China will import more in order to uh, manufacture more of the goods that these countries want and then export the goods onto them. So it's, yeah, it's more like... Um, it's it's more dependent on what's happening in major in other major economies, not so much what's happening within China. Right. So all this talk that you know China is decoupling itself from the West and aligning itself more mm. with BRICS mm. is perhaps being overplayed a bit in the media. Yeah, possibly so. But I guess one thing to note is that there is some truth in like in that they are relying a little bit on the BRICS, a little bit more on the BRICS now, um, because obviously, um, as we know, 
uh, it started with uh, Trump and it, all his tariffs, um, restrictions on Chinese um, exports um, into the US. So what US has been what US has been doing, or rather firms, what they've been doing is they've been rerouting a lot of um, their supplies, uh, the assembly lines uh, away from China. So there is a middleman before getting from <laughs> China to the US. Right. <laughs> but China's still got yeah, its part and, in the supply chain is what you're saying. It just might take a slight... For now, yeah. for now, mm. for now, for now at least, we are, the, we, we recognize the risk that in the, the, their role might diminish um, over time, especially if the US, for example, tighten their rules. As we are seeing right now, they're considering um, tightening rules on um, the origins and the contents of um, goods arriving into um, the US. For example, EVs from China actually make up a very, very, very small share of um, EVs that are sold in the US, primarily because of these kinds of um, restrictions. And if China and the West, you know, US and its allies decouple uh, even more than it is right now, um, sorry, even more than it has right now, uh, that is a real risk uh, to China uh, falling, you know, dropping out of the supply chain or just in or reducing its uh, share of the value addedness that it adds. Right. Although, you know, I do look and I think, well, what, 1.4 billion people? Uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, it's a difficult economy to ignore and it's a difficult workforce to ignore, isn't it? Whatever, uh, whatever it is you're making anywhere in the world. Look, it, it sounds like you're painting a fairly positive picture in terms of, uh, in terms of the rebound, perhaps better than most people think. We'll find out, won't we, when we start to see what this week has produced in terms of shopping and house hunting. Uh, but uh, perhaps things are looking a little better than China than uh, we, we thought perhaps a, a month or two back. Good talk, Shanna. We'll uh, hopefully have you back on again soon. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Very insightful stuff, wasn't it? And now, just to reiterate, the views that you had there came from Shiana and Capital Economics in Singapore, not necessarily the views of NAB. Now, next week, superannuation. If there's one thing that Australians like talking about after they finish talking about housing, it's their super funds and how they're performing. Well, how are they performing uh, at a time when the safest investment bonds has become altogether riskier? We're going to look less at that and more about the future of the superannuation industry. Diane Somerville from Deloitte will join me to talk through that next week on the weekend edition. And I am back on Monday for our regular week day updates as well. I'll see you then. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. The Weekend Edition.